Welcome to the Naturally Nourished Podcast that delivers cutting-edge food as medicine solutions for optimal health. Allie Miller is a nutrition expert sought up by the media and America's top medical institutes for her revolutionary functional medicine interventions. From disease treatment to prevention, every episode will empower you with ways to put yourself back in control of your health. Please note, the topics discussed are for educational purposes only. Now welcome, Integrative Dietitians Allie Miller and her co-host Becky Yu. Welcome to the Naturally Nourished Podcast. You are joining us for episode 329, Food as Medicine for Mental Health. This is such an important topic as we continue to see a rise in mental illness with an estimated 20 to 30% of adults experiencing some form, and that's upwards of 100 million people and likely many, you know, underreported. So during the summer of 2020, 40% of adults reported struggling with depression or seriously considering suicide. 18 to 24-year-olds were the age group hit the hardest with 75% of respondents reporting at least one adverse mental or behavioral health symptom in the past 30 days, which is really terrifying. Uh, So making today's episode just an essential listen and important one to share with a loved one or a friend, a family member, coworker, et cetera. Absolutely. So we've done a couple episodes over the past couple of years, especially with my release of the anti-anxiety diet, my nonfiction book that came out in 2017, and then with the release of the anti-anxiety diet cookbook in 2019. So I know we have a good seven, eight, nine, maybe 10 episodes out there circulating about mental health where we focused on a chapter or broke down a particular component of these books. Today, we're going to be doing a little refresh on some of my foundational principles, as well as layer in some new food as medicine support, updates on lifestyle changes, and even discuss the role of birth control in depression and mental illness. And then, of course, we will provide some supplement solutions. In today's episode, we're also going to be digging into the HPA access and that importance of regulation of that fight or flight feedback mechanism in the body and dig into how chronic stress can impact hormones, gut health, drive weight gain, and we will all pull it back into the main area of concern, mental health. Yes. So the last time we really focused just on mental health was a hundred plus episodes ago, if you can believe that. Yes. Um, So you can check out episode 222, The Depression and Immune Connection, um, where we connected post-infection cytokines or inflammatory compounds that could drive depression and how to resolve. But I think there's just so much, you know, post-pandemic and all of the things to get into. Um, And as we're all sick of talking about viral infection, cytokines can also be elevated with an inflammatory diet. Yes. So I think that's where we'll really start. Um, Before we dive into all of that and more, let's just have a quick word from our sponsor for today's episode, Carnivore Snacks. Yeah, I think Carnivore Snack is a really... uh, great sponsor for today's episode. I love when there's great synergy with our topic. Carnivore Snacks provides uh, two ingredients of deliciousness. They provide regenerative grass-fed meats, 
paired with Redmond Real Salt. And I've heard it referred to as a meat pastry the first time I tried these at KetoCon this past summer. And it can't be more accurate, especially their ribeye. <laughs> it truly melts and the way that they slowly dehydrate their meat provides this nice light flaky. It's not as much of a toothy jerky, but it's not also not overly dehydrated where it's too crunchy. Um, it's that perfect space in the middle. And I think that concept of meat pastry, because it's slightly flaky, slightly airy, and kind of melts in your mouth, deeply satiating. You get that good salivary enzyme release, which gives signals to the brain that you've been nourished. And what I love about carnivore snacks is they pack in a lot of nutrient density, namely in the form of protein. So a lot of the times, especially as we're getting going now with this new group of our keto participants, we're looking to try to get protein and fat up to a certain level while still keeping carbs low. And carnivore snacks is one of the best ways to do this. Their texture is amazing. They use a slow dehydration process to retain the most bioavailable nutrients and this optimal texture. And you get more concentration of protein per ounce. So if we look at a biological ounce of protein like steak um, in its you know main form where it has water weight in there, even when cooked and some of that water is removed, we're really only getting about seven grams of protein per ounce but when we look at carnivore snacks because of that dehydration slow process we're getting 13 to 19 grams of protein per ounce so more than double the amount of protein you would get and less intensive chew so sure. for people that are on the go stressed out something great to throw in your diaper bag becky something great that i like to have i'm looking at a bag right now on my desk um, i like to chomp on these between clients a really great way to get satisfying nourishment, have to stave off cravings, and also ensure that you're meeting your protein intake goals. Um, and that salt from Redmond Sea Salt definitely helps to round it out to also support the adrenals and kind of be a great stress-busting snack. Um, so go on over to Carnivore Snacks. That's with an X. So it's C-A-R-N-I-V-O-R-E-S-N-A-X.com, carnivoresnacks.com. Use the code AllieMillerRD and you will receive 15% off of your order as well as free shipping if you spend $125 or more. Some of my faves are, as I mentioned, the ribeye, the New York strip um, of their sliders. I love the beef slider and their chicken slider as well as their pork slider. They have leg of lamb, brisket cut. Check out at least four to five in your first order. You won't regret it and I think you'll be coming back for more. CarnivoreSnacks.com, AllieMillerRD to save. All right, let's do it. And let's just open up for a, you know, refresher of sorts on your approach to harnessing the HPA access and supporting mental health. It's been a minute. Yes, it sure has. And I think I often refer to the HPA access kind of flippantly, assuming that everyone's heard these foundational podcast episodes prior or read my book. So if you're joining us kind of newbie or maybe you just need a refresher, the HPA axis is the hypothalamic pituitary adrenal feedback in your body. And the hypothalamus and pituitary are in your brain. The adrenals are those tiny walnut-sized glands that sit above your kidneys. 
when we are in an overdrive from chronic stress demand or a constant state of worry, this can keep us in a reactive, hypervigilant, sympathetic nervous system response. And sympathetic nervous system is also known as that fight or flight survival mode. That type of reactivity will throw off the balance of what's called our parasympathetic system. And our parasympathetic system is more of that regulatory function. So it's been dumbed down to rest and digest mode, but the parasympathetic state itself has so many focuses beyond that rest and digestion. We know in fact by calling it a regulatory state that it regulates things like our sleep cycle, our hormone management in the body which can play a role with our menstrual cycle or fertility or libido. We know that there's a lot of metabolic factors in that parasympathetic space. So how our thyroid is managed and how we store fat as well as even leptin, the hormone of satiety. And if we are running on this chronic fight or flight adrenaline surge, This can drive chronic illness, it can drive metabolic imbalance, it can drive stubborn body fat, chronic fatigue, and this unwell feeling of generally buzzing or feeling like at times you even want to crawl out of your skin, this discomfort of trying to escape that chronic stressed mode. So when I'm looking at this HPA access, my goal is always to pair functional medicine approaches with food as medicine solutions. And that's the same approach that I take with mental illness. We see a strong need with mental illness for setting a foundation of a ketogenic diet, which we'll unpack in a moment. And then I kind of bring in the same tenets as I would for the anti-anxiety diet for all forms of mental illness, whether we're talking about depression or schizophrenia or borderline personality disorder, we know the presence of those ketones when they cross the blood-brain barrier can be very tonifying for mental health. And the other tenets of my anti-anxiety diet of removing inflammation, resetting the microbiome, repairing gut integrity, restoring nutrient deficiency, rebounding and regulating those adrenals, as well as rebalancing our neurotransmitters are all key elements to explore. Okay, so hopefully that helps to give a little bit of of background, a reminder, refresher. Um, So let's now talk about inflammation. So we connected cytokines or these pro-inflammatory compounds as drivers of inflammation during post-infection, which can in turn drive changes in mental health. Uh, But we also know that certain aspects of our diet and lifestyle can be pro-inflammatory as well. Yeah, so I think it's really important to acknowledge that the past decade of psychology and neurology research has discovered many trends demonstrating the presence of inflammatory chemicals in the body correlating with mood, instability, depression, and anxiety. So there's a definite relationship with those that have mental illness as well as even those that have brain fog or racing thoughts or feel unsettled. So, you know, I think mental illness has a heavy tag associated with it, but for all listeners, inflammation can create undesirable brain function. So we can see cognitive impact beyond mental illness. Um, And this mechanism is really that when there are higher amounts of inflammatory chemicals in the body, many of these also cross that blood-brain barrier and this creates a inflamed brain. And an inflamed brain essentially doesn't function optimally. 
Um, we can see more panic, more surges of excitatory neurotransmitters surging that kind of fight or flight response when the body registers a presence of inflammatory chemicals. So the brain kind of gets hot, it's inflamed. Um, we're not seeing as great of receptor function in our neurotransmitters. So when we're firing signals in the brain, they're kind of going through like jello or sludge and they aren't docking appropriately. And we know that the brain and gut respond to inflammation by continuing to perpetuate that HPA axis imbalance or that chronic fight or flight worried mode. Okay, so it's like the inflammation kind of sets off these alarm bells in the body that cause distress and imbalance and the body's like something is just not right. right. Mm-hmm. Um, let's talk about how we can use diet to reduce that inflammation. Yeah. So, you know, this food is medicine application that we always speak to is equally focused on removal as much as it is abundance. And so it's important to start with, of course, maybe playing with our recipes in our 12-week food as medicine keto uh, meal plan um, or the recipes in the anti-anxiety diet or even just starting off exploring our blog would be a great place to go. This is where you're going to get nutrient-dense, antioxidant, therapeutic foods that are anti-inflammatory, but it's equally important to focus on honing in on those pro-inflammatory foods and starting to clean up the pantry and reset. Because when we consume pro-inflammatory ingredients, we actually have inflammatory mediator chemicals that are released. So we talked about cytokines. There are also prostaglandins, leukotrienes. Um, These are compounds that will be released in excess, and these will interfere with, again, that mood stability and cognitive function. So when I'm honing in on the top inflammatory foods to remove, um, we're looking at removing gluten, corn, soy, dairy, and sugar. And dairy is the one that I'm most lenient on bringing back in, especially once we've toggled it out and done a strong elimination to reintroduce because there are many therapeutic effects. Um, Today, I don't want to dig too deep into dairy, but we do have a really good deep dive on dairy where we talk about like A1 and A2 casein. Um, We can link that in the show notes. I don't know the episode off the top of my head. but called Pros and Cons of of Dairy. Okay. So Um, we'll link that for sure. Um, And y'all know I'm a big fan of our grass-fed whey, but that's free of casein and lactose. Um, So we'll really kind of hone in today on really the gluten and the sugar, which I think are the first priorities, and then we kind of go from there. Okay. Yeah, I was going to say gluten's probably the biggest one in my book. So let's talk about the gluten and mental health connection. There are several different insults we're looking at here in the world of mental health um, and impact to methylation, opioid expression, and then driving leaky gut and food sensitivity. Yeah, most definitely. So the first piece of methylation, uh, this comes down really to synthetic enrichment of flowers. So, uh, you know, we even when we look at organic King Arthur non-bleached flowers, that's still going to be synthetically re-enriched. And when flowers are enriched, they're basically compensating for the processing due to the removal of the exterior parts of the grain where all of the nutrients are. Um, and so also when uh, grain is turned into flour, it's highly oxidized. And so it's pretty much devoid of nutrient density. And we saw a rise of neural tube defects uh, a couple decades back from folate deficiency. And so the American food movement was to re-enrich these devoid dead flours 
with synthetic nutrients. Now, unfortunately, the fortification that's used on flours, and that includes all flour-based foods, so these are like your crackers, your cookies, your breads, all those products in between, um, these uh, nutrients are synthetic, and they provide folic acid versus the nature-made folate. So for individuals that have MTHFR or the methylfolate, um, methyl tetrahydrofolate reductase enzyme issue, um, they need that methylfolate form. Um, and when they get the folic acid form, that can actually drive more stress to their methylation pathways, um, and that can create more anxiety, more surge of ADHD. We can see this also as a potential contributor in autistic spectrum disorder when that methylation wheel gets sticky or built up. Um, so removing flour-based foods from the diet is a really great way to ensure that you're not over-bombarding yourself, your child, household members with this synthetic folic acid. And you definitely also want to check other forms of enriched food. So that includes your child and your own multivitamin. Everything in our line is going to be in that L5-methyl tetrahydrofolate or noted as a nature folate form. Uh, we use quadrifolate in some. So we have many different mixed forms, but they're all in that biologically available. And we'd want to even remove things like drinking vitamin water, which sure. would have yep. synthetic forms and some of those kind of hot, greenwashed, quote-unquote, health beverages and foods out there. Totally. Okay, and that's just the first concern. That's just the methylation aspect. Um, let's talk about uh, the opo opioid expression, excuse me. Yeah, so that now unpacks gliadin. So gliadin is the component in gluten that is known to drive inflammatory response in celiac as well as non-celiac gluten-sensitive individuals. Gliadin is often not digested or broken down by enzymes in our digestive tract, and this can cause havoc leading to fatigue, acne, loose stools, constipation, depression, anxiety, mental illness, joint pain, and beyond. Um, and we use the enzyme tissue transglutaminase to modify this gliadin protein um, and often we will recommend for individuals our Digestaid, which is a digestive enzyme that can be taken if you might get glutened when dining out, for instance, or if you choose to indulge in a flour-based or you know gluten grain, um, then at least the DPP-4 in there supports that activation because gliadin is known to interact with the immune system. It cross-reacts with our bowel tissue and can cause inflammation in the intestines. And then that can actually flatten or damage the lining of the small intestine, leading to interference with nutrient absorption. Of course, that's the most severe in celiac disease, but we can still see non-celiac gluten sensitivity to have that gut inflammation from gliadin. Yes, totally. Um, and then beyond this inflammatory response, gliadin is also going to play a role on our opioid receptors in the brain. Yeah, and so this can lead to addictive tendencies and is known clinically to drive mood disturbances. It's actually called gluteomorphin, um, and gluteomorphin proteins have been hypothesized as drivers of inflammation, crossing that blood-brain barrier, um, and playing a big contributing factor to depression, anxiety, and even in schizophrenia. Pretty wild. Yeah, no doubt. So again, I would call out because I think this is always buzzworthy. Like, can I eat sourdough bread? It's sure. so trendy yeah, yeah, right now. Yeah. So I just want to kind of touch base on that. And everything's a, a dial, you know, so it's not an on off, 
But even einkorn wheat, again, which is like this uh, more heirloom varietal, not that short dwarf hybridized. Einkorn wheat is going to have less chromosomes. So there's 28 chromosomes in an emmer or einkorn wheat as opposed to 42 chromosomes in a modern hybridized wheat. Um, however, the amount and concentration of gliadin is actually higher, a gliadin to gluten ratio in um, einkorn wheat than we would see in standard flour. So there's more concentration as far as chromosomal in a processed flour or a modern wheat, but because it's so nourishing and rich, it actually has quite a high amount of gliadin. Now we can still reduce this by fermenting it, and that's why sourdough mm -hmm. and using einkorn would be the best option out there. We've also seen in the diet, interestingly enough, I'm linking a research study that looked at consuming polyphenols or plant-based antioxidants able to be protective to mitigate some of those inflammatory responses of gluten. So maybe if you're having your sourdough einkorn toast, um, which is probably your best option, um, if you don't have known gluten sensitivity or celiac disease, you'd want to add sprouts and olive oil and berries to that to get some of those polyphenols to offset that. However, as a listener, if you're talking about approaching someone with known mental health, yeah. considering a medication, at this time they should go 110% gluten free. Yep. I would wholeheartedly agree with that. And that's the first thing I, I take my patients off of, um, you know, if they're not ready to do everything else that we've talked about so far, um, gluten is, is the first one to go. And, you know, I love when that abundance of anti-inflammatory foods can help to, you know, kind of offset certainly. And we could make a real fancy avocado toast with all yes, of the things there you go. See? Yeah. <laughs> that you mentioned. Um, but like you said, if you're dealing with mental illness, um, you really want to remove it a hundred percent, use those digestive enzymes when you are, you know, dining out and there's that potential of even the cross reactivity. Yes. Um, and so, you know, we've seen compelling evidence in, in trials where removal can play a significant role in actually resolving mental illness, especially when you're dealing with more of like a silent sensitivity. Yes. So people might say, you know, okay, well I'm on three different Psych psychotropic drugs or psychiatric medications, but gluten doesn't bother me, meaning that they don't get a, a bloating in the gut or have loose stool or constipation. Um, but there's a really compelling study. I have many linked in my book, The Anti-Anxiety Diet, but one of them is called Is Schizophrenia Rare If Grain Is Rare? by the Journal of Bio Biology and Psychiatry. And it's quite a compelling um, piece of literature. So again, I think that that's one to just go pretty staunch on. Pull gluten out for at least a three to six month window when dealing with mental illness. Okay. And then when we remove gluten from the diet, I think we need to talk about what we're replacing it with because a lot of people go straight to corn-based products or maybe corn tortillas sure. as an alternative to flour. Um, and while it might not have that gliadin influence, it's not much better when we think about BT-ready corn or GMO corn, how it's produced, and some of those concerns. Yes. So I would say fair to start with corn as the replacement, knowing that that is a, you know, pacifier, if you will, and not going to be a long-term solution or resolution. Um, and so, you know, again, if you're talking to your teenage son and you're trying to make a change, I, I think that that's a short-term okay option. But the concern with corn, and we're talking about inflammation again, right, is that corn is majority made from genetically modified forms. So there's BT corn, which uses a BT endotoxin, and then there's Roundup Ready corn. The BT corn was designed to kill a susceptible insect. 
Um, and there's actually parts of that plant integrated into it, into its genetic code of the corn, and that contains the BT protein. Um, and so when we look at this, um, within minutes of consumption of these compounds, the protein actually binds to the gut wall. And when the insect stops feeding within hours, that insect dies because its gut wall explodes and bacteria invades the body cavity. They basically get sepsis. So the insect is dying of septicemia as a bacteria multiply into their blood and their colon explodes, which is pretty disgusting. Now that of course level of reaction doesn't occur in humans, but if that that's the mechanism that doesn't seem like something ideal to put in your body, especially when we're connecting the idea of leaky gut or gut permeability or gut damage being something that increases inflammatory chemicals, sure. which is again what we're kind of trying to attack here for mental health. Yeah. Um, the other form of GMO corn is the Roundup Ready corn, and this is produced to withstand higher amounts of the herbicide glyphosate, um, and that's the active neurotoxin ingredient in the agricultural chemical Roundup. Um, so glyphosate has been linked in studies as a neurotoxin. We've seen um, lawsuits where people have actually won awards for it being cancer-causing um, um, when fighting Monsanto, the producer. Uh, we know that glyphosate also is a known endocrine disruptor, which throws off not just our sex hormones and our thyroid and our insulin response, but also our neurotransmitters that regulate our mood and our stress response. And we can see neurological damage with high amounts of glyphosate exposure. What's concerning is that's now not only used to spray to keep pests off, but it's also beyond use as an herbicide, use as a dehumidicant. Um, we talked about that with our interview um, with that uh, fifth generation um, grower a couple episodes back, yeah, about maybe yeah, yeah. a couple months back there. And um, you know, it's now used after harvest to dry the crop, which is why we're seeing it higher in our Cheerios and breakfast cereals, snack foods, etc. So you know, currently about eighty-eight to ninety percent of the corn on the market is genetically modified, um, and so. You you know, we always say ideal, of course, would be organic. Um, and if choosing organic best would be like a blue heirloom because yep. that probably has less cross-contamination than a yellow corn, which might have some of that GMO influence. Um, but even so, corn itself is high in omega-6 fatty acids. And when we're talking about inflammation, we're trying to get up our omega-3s and keep our omega-6 reg regulated. And this is another argument of why we're big proponents of grass-fed, grass-finished proteins um, because we know that those omega-6s can drive inflammation if not managed. And basically, we used to be at like a 4 to 1 ratio or a 3 to 1, and now we're seeing 25 to 30 to 1 ratio of omega-6 to omega-3. Sure. Um, and yeah, like you said, the blue corn, the heirloom might fit if the rest of your diet is like really anti-inflammatory, you know, rich. We're doing that wild caught fish, leafy greens, nuts and seeds, pasture raised yes. eggs, the grass fed meats. And then there's like a small amount of, of corn coming in once in a while as, as a treat or something sure like, that. like add an heirloom corn tortilla that is cooked in tallow or, sure. or pasture raised lard from my market or from day do in austin um and you know again this would be kind of less of an insult actually even than the sourdough because there's no opioid effect sure. here when we're talking yeah, yeah. specific to mental health not necessarily gut damage 
Um, but big picture, we look at traditionally and uh, prepared and probably keeping that very sparse, definitely not as a food staple. Sure. And then regardless, both these foods that we're talking about are carbs. And when mm-hmm. we're talking about mental health, another really important place to start um, is to balance blood sugar and ratchet the carbs down. Um, so we see this, you know, from toddlers through adults as being a big influence to behavior through, you know, mental health and more. Yes. And I think probably the first place to start, like you said, this blood sugar control, even before we get granular into hitting inflammation is, is key. Cause this is where you're going to see the quickest feedback. We know that a high sugar diet can drive symptoms of brain fog, fatigue, even blurred vision, confusion, anxiety, panic, and feeling of loss of control. And then that blood sugar crash, which is residual following that spike, can drive symptoms of shakiness, tension, irritability, and even panic or hanger. <laughs> We've all seen that in our spouses maybe, or our children, or maybe ourselves. Um, and we've seen actually that withdrawal from sugar has proven to be as destructive to um, the body as sugar highs. Um, so we've seen studies showing that a diet of binging on sugar followed by restriction creates a state that drives altered brain chemical balance. Um, and sugar is known in research to drive this irritability and we've even seen studies driving violent behavior and more mechanisms of mental illness or imbalance pretty wild um so first we really want to focus on reducing the spikes and crashes um, and that's going to mean regulating our macronutrients our carbs protein fat looking to reduce the mountains and valleys, if you will, or those big slumps and, and shifts. Um, and so we like to ensure, you know, from first food introductions, this rule of no naked carbs. Yes. That's going all the way back, you know, baby led weaning, if we're giving sweet potato, it's cooked in coconut oil, yes. right? Mm-hmm. Um, we're always pairing carbs with a protein or healthy fat. Absolutely. So yes, I I love that. And that's why we want to watch out for a lot of those things that kids are primed with, like those teethers, which are basically like rice and corn. Um, And we look at like a lot of the pouches, which are just fruits or maybe have a little bit of vegetable, but zero grams of fat. Um, And so we always want this lid on our jar, if you will. And that comes from a protein or a healthy fat. So if we're giving apple, we're giving nut butter balls. Um, If it's an adult, you know, or any age, um, you know, we can do protein like meat with our, um, if we're doing like Simple Mills almond milk crackers, we're going to eat a chomps beef stick. Um, we're looking at adding um, Greek yogurt as a base to our berries or our peaches. Um, and this is really important to regulate those spikes and crashes and get more into like a speed bump blood sugar regulation mode. And then if we're actually dealing with mental health concerns, considering again, medication or the medication that is being used is not working, we're really looking at removal of carbohydrates and getting that individual into a ketogenic state. Yeah. Let's talk about the role of, of ketones here and how those can be further mood stabilizing. Yeah. So the ketogenic diet generally is going to occur after restriction of carbs in the diet to be at like 30 grams or less for about a three day window. So it takes about 40, 72 really hours to get into producing ketones. Um, and through that carbohydrate reduction, 
the body transitions from being an exclusive sugar or glucose burning machine into a hybrid that can use both glucose as well as ketones. And ketones are produced once we bring our glucose stores in our muscles and our liver down, and that's our store of glycogen. Um, So we need no glucose spikes from the diet. And then to even get into those stores of backup sugar, and then the body will start to be forced to manufacture these ketones as an alternative energy source. And the liver makes ketones out of fat in the diet or body fat reserves. And these ketones are truly high octane fuel. They provide a cleaner, more constant energy source as opposed to the spikes and valleys of glucose, which have these huge fluctuations and can impact mood unfavorably. We know also that when we're making ketones, just by producing ketones, we are reducing that fluctuation of glucose because we have this secondary fuel source. And that means that also our insulin levels themselves are coming down. Yes. So even beyond this mood stability you know, aspect, we're going to see other bonuses um, of you know reducing that level of insulin so we're going to see metabolic shifts we're going to see you know weight loss we're going to see reversal yes. of prediabetes or diabetes yeah and that's the beautiful balance again when you get this synergistic effect of using food as medicine so we're harnessing mental health but we're seeing metabolic health we're seeing inflammatory markers go down we're seeing better cardiovascular health and you know that's the bonus is maybe reversal of diabetes or getting that weight loss which can in itself when you feel better in your body impact mental health for sure. Um, And it's important to note that insulin is a pro-inflammatory hormone. So, you know, in its mechanisms, we see that there's an unfavorable influence on elevated insulin on brain health. In fact, we've seen researchers have found that individuals with elevated blood sugar levels are more than twofold likely to develop depressive illness. Um, We've seen that when ketones are produced, they're released in a condition that also supports other mood stabilizers. So ketones themselves cross the blood-brain barrier. They reduce inflammation in the brain. So now the neurons are firing more appropriately. There's not that jello or gunk that's going on in the brain. It's a high-octane, low-oxidative stress fuel. But what's cool is when your body's making ketones, it's also making HGH. Um, And HGH, your human growth hormone, has shown to aid in amino acid utilization and support neuron function. We know that when we're in a state of ketosis, we also have more favorable leptin docking and leptin production. Leptin is a hormone that can affect not just satiety and support weight loss, but leptin can affect mood, cognition. It actually induces structural and functional alterations in the hippocampus and in the prefrontal cortex. And this supports this neuroplasticity, um, which actually we've seen theories of depression and many aspects of mental illness playing a role with this association of brain plasticity changes. Um, And so there's antidepressant effects from leptin response, and that also creates this safety, parasympathetic, regulatory mode. And then the the third, or maybe on the fourth mechanism of, of ketones is that they are GABAergenic. And this means that they basically drive up GABA, which is our primary neuroinhibitory mellowing out compound. Um, So when those ketones cross the blood-brain barrier, they tell the body it's safe. 
They support neuroplasticity. They regulate leptin response and they give us that GABA surge. Yes, huge. Um, So solid, solid mechanisms for, you know, which ketosis could be argued as an actual cure for mental illness. And we've seen a lot of movement um, in the carnivore diet here as a simple way to just get into deep ketosis. Um, Let's talk about some of the literature on keto and mental illness. Yeah. So, you know, the ketogenic diet first was brought into the medical realm as a treatment option for epilepsy. And that was because these mechanisms I've just noted, you know, they actually reduce overactivity in the brain. And I think that that's something that we clearly see ourselves as well as with participants of our 12-week food as medicine ketosis program is that like, I feel grounded and I feel calm again and uh, my cravings have reduced, I'm sleeping better. Um, And so that reduced overactivity in the brain is a similar mechanism that we see that drives seizure activity. Um, And we've seen in studies a clinical overlap in the mechanisms of epilepsy and bipolar disorder, um, as well as the influence of ketones as an adjuvant in mania and bipolar disorder. So, you know, beyond even severe mental illnesses, ketones have this favorable influence on reducing excitatory neurotransmitters. So we talked about before how inflammation kind of drives that signal or the alarm bell. Ketones tell the alarm that it can turn off or that the body is safe. And um, there are beyond the excitatory neurotransmitter influences, these ion shifts that create mood stability and reduction of anxiety. And then there's that element that ketones themselves can reduce oxidative stress or inflammation. And so that in itself reduces that feedback to that fight or flight access. Okay. And one study pulled here um, called the use of ketogenic diet in the treatment of psychiatric disorders. Let's talk about that a little bit. Yeah. So just the the summary here was we report the unexpected resolution of longstanding schizophrenic symptoms after starting a low carbohydrate ketogenic diet. I mean, that right there uh-huh. is pretty remarkable and gives me goosebumps um, because we've seen it clinically, but but it's really not out. This study came out in 2021. Okay. So as we dig into these studies, be mindful of the timestamp because this is all just kind of cutting edge. Um, They noted that um, metabolic consequences from the elimination of gluten in the diet and the modulation of schizophrenia at the cellular level from getting into that ketogenic state. Um, So quite compelling. That was the Mental Health Clinical Journal, um, and that was released in May of 2021. Um, This is Frontiers in Psychiatry in July of 22. They, um, and there's so many clinical trials going on now. So I will note that. Um, so some of these population studies are quite small, uh, but it took so long to be able to get people sure. and researchers to be open-minded to use diet as a protocol. Um, this was a study in July of 22 that um, looked at 31 adults with severe persistent mental illness. So either major depressive disorder, bipolar disorder, or schizoaffective disorder. And um, their symptoms were poorly controlled despite intensive psychiatric management administered at a psychiatric hospital. They were placed on a ketogenic diet restricted to 20 grams, so a little bit more aggressive than we typically go um, per day, 20 grams of carbs. Um, And they were inpatient care for 248 days. Um, The reductions in the Hamilton Depression Rating Scale are phenomenal. They dropped from 25.4 to 7.7. The Montgomery Asperg Depression Rating Scale went from 29.6 to 10.1. 
Um, and among the 10 patients with a schizoaffective illness, the positive and negative syndrome scale went from 91.4 to 49.3. So we saw a reduction of a half slash to even three times slash to actually five times slash in some cases with the use of the ketogenic diet. And what's more is they also noted significant improvements in metabolic health measures as we've touched on. So they saw weight improvement, blood pressure improvement, blood glucose levels, and triglycerides. Okay, so lots of really interesting studies coming out. Um, This one co-authored by Dr. Eric Westman, who you had an event with in 2018 back in San Antonio. Yeah, yeah, when I was lecturing on the anti-anxiety diet. So I think a lot of researchers are now just starting to look into this keto anxiety connection and um, I mean, who knows if they've read a copy of the anti-anxiety diet right. or some of that message has circulated. Um, but it's really um, wonderful to see that my hypothesis essentially in my book is now starting to be implemented into clinical trials. And um, I saw one study from the Journal of Nutrients in December of 2020, and it's literally an outline of my book. Like it, it <laughs> kind of made my jaw drop. I didn't find it until I was looking into this research study. And it looked at the HPA access, inflammation and ROS, GABA, glutamate, gut microbia, um, and the anxiolytic effect. Um, and then th- when it went into this components, it pretty much touched on my six R's. It was kind of crazy. I wonder if they read your book. Who knows? What, if it was just <laughs> synergistic. It, it could whatever. be. Yeah, kind of wild. So let's give a discount for listeners if they haven't yet purchased your book. Let's apply 15% off the bundle of both the anti-anxiety diet and the anti-anxiety diet cookbook so that people can save double and then they get the what as well as the why. Yes. So the bundle includes already a discount by purchasing both books, but we will go ahead and add another 15% off of that. We'll use the code anxiety15 and you'll save again 15% off the bundle of both the anti-anxiety diet, which is the science and strategy of optimizing mental health, as well as the anti-anxiety diet cookbook, which is kind of more punchy and straight to the point. We also have a chapter in there for kids. So I always like to call that out because I think that can be helpful for any form of ADHD through autistic spectrum and beyond to really focus on, as we've talked about in today's episode, the power of ketones and a lower carbohydrate diet that's also accented with food as medicine. So getting that robust microbiome support aiding with repairing leaky gut, and so much more. Yes, so the books are such a fabulous resource. And as we are talking to those of you listening live in January of 2023, this Wednesday is going to be class two of our live 12-week food as medicine ketosis class. Um, So we will... I have uh, five more classes to go. Yes. So this week and then four additional classes um, and all of them are archived. So just because you missed the first one, you can totally rewatch that and catch up. Um, this live class includes access to us and our private community over on Slack, as well as uh, supplement and lab savings. And it really just keeps you accountable to get results. Right. So although it's virtual, maybe not 3D, you get more accountability than a book per se. So if you're really looking to use ketosis as a tool for mental health in your household, for yourself, for maybe a teenage in the household, spouse, etc., this would be a really great consideration to jump into this year's live 12-week food as medicine 
ketosis class program. So as Becky said, if you jump in today from listening to this, you can also use a discount code we'll offer to you guys since we've already started the program. It's Keto 100, and that's going to save $100 off our $299 program, making it just $199. So under $200, we will keep that code Keto 100 live through the end of the month of February, all the way through the uh, class three, so that you can still even participate in those last three classes free. And as Becky said, they're all archived. Many people rewatch them, but the magic of doing it in our live versus our archive program is that you get access to our Slack community, which is a non-social media-based forum where Becky and I directly manage your questions. We help you adjust your protocol based on the needs of your body. We help you to understand best macros, so carbs, protein, and fat for your individual body. And we'll make recommendations to help to sift through our supplements to find the best protocol specific to your body's needs. Awesome. So in summary, a ketogenic or high-fat, low-carb diet can enhance your mind and mood by regulating a consistent low glucose level, which reduces your insulin response, and it's going to have anti-inflammatory mechanisms while reducing excitatory neuron activity and mellowing out and stabilizing body and mind. Yes, so I think in today's episode, we've covered a large amount of ground and a lot of compelling evidence on the mechanisms of action to consider why you'd want to explore the ketogenic diet, especially when you're layering in again, this food as medicine approach of high antioxidant, phyto compounds, more of a Mediterranean approach. I think we still have so much ground to cover and I wanna dig a little bit deeper into our food as medicine strategy but I think this is enough for today's episode. I'd like to wrap up here and then next week we'll get into specific nutrients and supplements of focus as well as information on lifestyle changes and we'll even dig into as we teed up in today's episode the concerns of birth control as a driver of mood instability. So make sure you tune in and a great reason to subscribe to the Naturally Nourished podcast so you never miss an episode. Okay. Good idea because we've got a lot to say yes. <laughs> about all of that. So hopefully we've set the stage here on identifying inflammation and blood sugar instability as drivers for mental illness. And these are two things that you can really start to address today. So again, good way to do that would be to join us in our keto class. Um, that code is KETO100 to save $100 on our 12-week program over at AllieMillerRD.com. All right. And then next episode, we're going to be covering a bunch of not just nutrient focuses, but also some supplemental support. I wanted to just include in today's show notes, some of the base recommendations. If you want to make sure that you get into an action mode and you're starting to cut your carbs down and watch your blood sugar management and reduce those pro-inflammatory foods, we really highlighted gluten and corn as two ones in today's episode. You may want to also preemptively layer in my stress manager bundle. This has three powerful nutritional supplements that can aid in harnessing that HPA axis that we talked about and also aiding as antidepressant and anti-anxiety effects. So that includes Calm and Clear, Adaptogen Boost, and GABA Calm as the three formulas in the Stress Manager Bundle. So we'll be sure to link that bundle. You can learn all about each particular formula on AllieMillerRD.com and learn about which ones you would take kind of acutely in times of mood disturbance as well as foundational formulas. And then other considerations from today's conversation would be our Digest Aid, which is our digestive enzyme. We did discuss briefly how taking Digest Aid would be a way to ensure 
if you are exposed to gluten, uh, that DPP4 compound in our enzyme formula would actually help you to have a less inflammatory impact from that gluteomorphin, that impact of that opioid-like response from gluten consumption. And then if looking to offset that omega-6, omega-3 ratio, we'd highly recommend our EPA DHA extra, which can be taken in both a capsule or a liquid form. But in next week's episode, we're going to nerd out on the benefits of omega-3 further. Yes, so we'll dig deeper next week in the food as medicine department in terms of supplements and all of the things. As always, thank you for listening. Please head on over to wherever you listen, whether it's Apple Podcasts or Spotify, wherever you are, and go ahead and leave us a five-star review along with a couple of sentences on why you love the Naturally Nourished podcast. Thank you for listening to the Naturally Nourished podcast. Visit our blog at AllieMillerRD.com for recipes, wellness tips, and food as medicine meal plans. Connect with Allie and Becky at AllieMillerRD on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Until next time, stay nourished and be well.